Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is God's holy and inspired word. And let's pray, as we, uh, let's pray to him as we go before him. Father, it is no light thing to stand in front of your people on your behalf and declare the good news of your son. But Father, I ask that by your spirit I do that. That I preach the gospel faithfully as I ought. That your spirit move among us this morning. Father, forgive my sins for they are many. But point us to Jesus who has died for those sins and has brought us into a newness that we may walk in it. I see things in his name. Amen. Well, I'm not sure as a candidate if I'm allowed to have a favorite book of the Bible or if I could narrow it down, but I certainly know that Romans is high on my list. It is this beautiful exposition, this systematic breakdown. And so if you're type A like me and you like things in neat categories, Romans works for you. Paul has spent several chapters teaching on sin and the foundation of who we are. And in chapters 4 and 5, he moves from that exposition of sin to this radical teaching that salvation is given. That it is a gift of God by faith alone and it is not earned. Paul lays out that the lawless, wicked sinners or the cleaned up, obedient sinners are counted righteous not because they found a way to be good enough but because they've looked to Jesus by faith and placed their hope in him. 
But as we transition to chapter 6, Paul knows his audience both in Rome and I think by extension us this morning. He knows that when we hear you are free from your sins by faith alone, that we are tempted that this we are tempted to believe or tempted to assume that this uh, gospel doesn't change us. That, that there is no real outward impact on our lives. We may phrase this temptation a couple of different ways. One way is a more uh, libertine, shameless desire to, to just go and sin. There are those, maybe even here this morning in our hearts, who hear the gospel of grace and our sins being forgiven and assume so we can do whatever we want. And we can ask with an almost odd excitement if, if, if freedom means that we have license, that we could run off into the forest of sin and live, live as if we are God's feral children. And we see this attitude today. Those who claim the title of Christian but make room for secret sins either for themselves or for others. They walk in, in that, that secrecy and hope that they aren't seen. Hope that they're never found out, but try to make that room. But on the other side of that coin from them, there is the more legalistic cleaned up, obedient form. There are those even here maybe this morning who hear that we are free from our sins by faith alone and ask with a disgust, are, are you saying that because Christ has died that even the worst sinners get off scot-free? Are, are you saying that works are unnecessary and people can just live apathetically? Or run off into the forest of sin as if they are God's feral children? And so often, I think we're tempted, if we're honest, between those two points. We vacillate between the two. We pendulum swing between them, depending on the day, or the hour, or the minute. But Paul gets in front of the question in our text this morning. He addresses both in the same chapter because at the end of the day, though we think these two uh, ideas of license or legalism are miles apart, they are really just cousins of one another. Neither of them understand the radical power and grace that we have in the gospel. Neither of them understand the freedom that we have in Christ and how we live in that freedom. That's why Paul gets in front of the question. He lays out for them what does it mean to not only be free, but to live in light of the gospel. Paul's response, what we should see this morning, 
is this. He shows us that continuing in sin is contrary to who we are in Jesus Christ. Rather, since we have been united to Christ, we are free from the tyranny of sin and free to walk in righteousness. That's what I want us to see this morning. Because we are united to Christ, we are free first from the tyranny of sin and free to walk in righteousness. So first we must understand who we were before Jesus. And I'm basing it on some phrases that Paul has scattered throughout our text. In verse 6, he says that we were enslaved to sin. Later in that passage, he says that sin has dominion, that death has dominion. Sin, at the end of the day, controlled us. It mastered us. We were bound to it. All of our decisions, all of our thoughts, all of our emotions were driven by sin. It was because we were finding our hope or our security or our identity in something else. At the end of the day, we're all going to live for something. Something is going to control us. Something is going to rule our hearts. So often, I think we we misunderstand who we are. But, but the big question that we must ask is, where do I find my hope and my security and my identity? It, it could be achievement. It could be financial stability. It, it could be independence or self-reliance or having others dependent on us, or relying on us. It could be influence, or just the approval of others. It could be a political social cause. It could be that our children are successful, or that our parents are proud. It could be any number of things. But when we make these things ultimate, we submit ourselves to them. We give them the authority to reign over us. And when something is ultimate, when it drives us, we will stop at nothing to accomplish it, to get it. So that we can feel as if we, are, we have security. When we allow it to define us, It consumes us. We think that we're getting something from it. And and maybe in ways we are. But ultimately, that thing that we have made ultimate is controlling us. It dominates us. It rules us. And not only does it rule and reign over us, but it forces us to obey its demands. And this is sin forces us to justify all of the sins that we commit to obtain it. 
we see in verse 12 that sin reigned in our body. It was our king. A cruel, wicked tyrant who swore he loved us, but doesn't. Swore that if we just let him reign, we would be safe, we would be secure, we would be fulfilled. But every time it fails. And this is why Paul is so emphatic that we not return to sin. Because to do so is to return to a tyrant king who does not love us and forces us to obey the wicked desires of our heart. It is contrary to who we are in Christ. And and don't miss how Paul calls them to flee from sin. Don't miss it. He does not say, should you return to sin? No, go be good. He does not say, go and earn grace with your obedience. He he does not call them to pick themselves up by their dirty, dingy, broken bootstraps. He does not say, make sure that God is pleased with you. That you, while you may get in by faith, make sure that you stay in by your faithfulness. No, he grounds it in our union with Christ. Paul argues that since we have come to Christ by faith, we have been united in Christ's death. This means that by his death on the cross, your old self, who you were in your sins is dead. That it was crucified with him. That the death that Christ died is counted as the death you deserved. That the sin that you committed in bondage to other masters has been put on Christ and therefore your sins are forgiven. That all of the sins that you will ever commit by faith are placed on him and by dying he has fully satisfied for them. Paul wants us to see that Christ's death is the death of our sin. The death of not only our sin, but our sinful selves. And so therefore we are free from the tyranny of sin. It cannot control us. We have already died to it. But Paul also demonstrates that our union with Christ is not just a past fact. It is a present reality. If the former self has been put to death in Christ and Christ has been raised, then the new self is made alive. In Christ, when you are united to him by faith, you receive a new nature, a new heart, a new spirit. That the same spirit who raised Christ now lives in you and enables you to not only not or not only to be forgiven from sin but to not sin and to walk in righteousness that the spirit works in us to create in us the good works that God does call us to 
just recently finished my history classes, and they are, and I know as soon as I said that, some of you are going, that sounds like so much fun, and it was. But there's a, a story that is said to be about Augustine, and Augustine, as you read history, uh, lived 40 years as just a terrible person, and, and that's his words, that he was just a chief sinner. But after coming to Christ, Augustine is walking through his hometown streets, and there's a woman who knows Augustine from his life previously. And she sees him, and she says, Augustine. And he keeps walking. And she cries out again, Augustine. And he keeps walking, which both in his day and where in Arkansas is incredibly rude. And so she runs to him, she gets in his face, and she says, Augustine, it is I pleading with him. And Augustine says, yes, I know, but it is not I. Augustine understands, and, and we ought to understand that in Christ we are new that we are a new person. That sin and our sinful past does not get to dictate to us. And this is why Paul ties these references with baptism to our union with Christ. It is a sign and seal of that union. It, it's when we, when we doubt... When we feel that temptation, God calls us to remember our baptism, to look to Christ through it, to hear the promises of God to us in it, where he says, no, this one is mine. Regardless of when you receive that sign or how, it is God calling out to us, you're mine. He sets his affections on us. And because God has done this, we are free from not just the condemnation of sin, but the power of it. It does not have the ability to dictate to us, to demand from us, that we should live in it. We have been transformed by the Spirit and are not who we once were. And I hope you see the difference between newness of life that Paul talks about and legalism. It's nuanced, and it's tricky, but it's, it's there. Paul is not calling us to law. He is not calling us to do this and live. He, he is not calling us to come to God and say, all right, I have to make sure that I get it all right, or you're going to drop me. He's not calling us to white-knuckled faithfulness. Rather, what Paul is calling us to is to be who we already are in Christ. To, to see that we are united to Christ, to rest in that for our justification, and then to walk as if we are united to Christ for our sanctification. 
He wants us to be who we already are. So what does that mean for you this morning? Because you may have come here, and you may have heard all of that and say, Jay, that sounds fantastic. So what? Or you may have come here this morning, and, and you can say, look, I, I, I'm looking to Christ by faith. And, and I get what you're saying, Jay, that sin doesn't technically demand from me, but I, I don't feel that. I, I, I know the last days or hours, and I really feel like it's demanding from me. I really feel like it's dictating to me. And you feel as if you're not free. You may sit there with guilt and shame this morning and think you're being ruled. And I'll confess my own sin. It's me too sometimes. The call for you this morning is to hear the reality of who you are and to live in it. It is to heed the words of Paul and consider yourself dead to sin. This doesn't mean that sin doesn't abide. It doesn't mean that it doesn't rip or tear or cling or claw. It doesn't mean that you find a day that you stop sinning. But it does mean is that it does not get to dictate to you. That while you may be tempted to sin, you are also free by the Spirit to not sin. To flee from it. As Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, whatever you may feel, whatever your experience may be, God tells us here through his word that if we are in Christ, we are no longer an Adam. We are no longer under the reign and rule of sin. And if I fall into sin, as I do, it is simply because I do not realize who I am. God, this morning, is calling us to be who we are in our fight against sin. To be who you really are. To flee from it. Therefore, we ought to be diligent to resist sin and not give ourselves over to it. Before Lindsay and I got married, I lived in Conway, Arkansas. And I lived in a duplex. I lived... Uh, in a sketchy part of town because I was poor and because it was affordable. And this duplex was the absolute worst. The walls were thin and there was no insulation. And so in the, uh, what we call winter, y'all would call fall, I guess, it was uh, cold. And in the summers when the humidity kicked up to 105, it was miserable. It was, it was full, or the, the underside of the house had something under there. I had to beg the landlord who was apathetic on his best day for AC and proper heat. If you had too many lights on at once, uh, the whole house would just shut off and you'd have to go around the back and flip the breaker. It was not great. It was maybe a step above a slum, 
So when Lindsay and I got married, it was not difficult of where we were going to live. Lindsay has uh, had, when we met, a very nice house that still, to my knowledge, does not have animals underneath and is warm in the winter and uh, especially cool in the summer. And I was sitting there one night and Lindsay was out of town and it was just me and our dogs. And I just remember kind of reminiscing and looking around and sitting on the couch with the comfortable pillows and and everything. And Lindsay's done a great job of giving us a, a safe home. But could you imagine if the day after Lindsay and I got married, I said, you know, I know we're married and I love you and I think you're great and this is a wonderful place to live, but I really did enjoy living with the rats and the bugs and the spiders. I I really did enjoy the humidity in the summer. I enjoyed the lights going out. Could you imagine if I called my landlord and said, I know I just got married, but I'd like to live as if I didn't. You've not met me long, but you would probably say, you're a moron, and you'd be right. This would not be living in light of who I became. It would not be living in light of the goodness that I had. And we ought not run back to those wicked slumlords of our sin. When they call out for our affections... When they call to us, we ought to look around at the house that we have and who we have become in Christ. And when we see the goodness of Christ and the freedom from sin that he's given us, how can we go back? So my call for you this morning, my plea with you, is to look to Christ and rest in him. And as you're resting, see the freedom that you have. And when those wicked tyrants of our hearts call out to our affections, remember who you are in Christ. I think Tim Keller does get it right with these three statements as helpful reflections. That we are bought with Christ's blood and we've been delivered out of the dominion of sin and say specifically by Christ so that we would not sin. So my plea with you this morning as we close is to keep looking, to be who you are, to find your hope and your security and your identity in Christ and walk in that freedom. And as you walk in that freedom, yes, you do what God commands, And in doing so, you declare the gospel to your neighbor. You declare the gospel to your spouse and to your children. God calls us to walk in his ways so that we may bless those around us. That they may see the glory of the gospel. So this week, as you go back to your jobs after the holiday, as you go back to school after the holiday... Go 
and live in light of who you are in Christ. Go and walk in your freedom. When sin calls out to you, flee. Know that the spirit who raised Christ and lives in you empowers you to flee. And seek the good of your neighbor. They may hear the gospel of God's grace and freedom too. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, you have freed us from sin. And in your son given us all good things. We ask as we go this, from this place that you empower us again. That we may give we may give grace to ourselves as we look to your son. That we may declare your good news to those around us. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Would you please stand if you're able? We'll prepare for communion singing, Search Me, O God.